This podcast is brought to you by the College of Nursing at Brigham Young University. For more information about its programs, faculty, students, or alumni events, please visit nursing.byu.edu. Have you ever felt the rush that comes from sitting in a helicopter, door wide open, and the world looking tiny underneath you while you're actively working as a nurse? Well, today we talk to somebody who does that every single day. Hey guys, I'm Adia Hansen. And I'm Corbin Smith. Together we are going to explore the nursing profession. With exclusive interviews for nurses working in jobs you want to know about. Transferring info from one nurse to another. This is the College Handoff. Hey guys, welcome back. Today's episode features just one interview, but it is such a great one. Kelsey Sachs, a flight nurse at Duke Life Flight down in North Carolina, is going to join us on the show. We talked to her about the path that she took to become a flight nurse, and we're going to see if being a flight nurse is really as cool as it sounds. Let's get started. All right, guys, so we're here with Kelsey Sachs. Kelsey, how are you doing? I am doing well today. That is awesome. Kelsey, so we brought you on the show today because we want to learn everything that there is to know about being a flight nurse and your experience doing that. But before we do that, could you introduce yourself to us a little bit? Yeah, so I'm Kelsey Sachs. I have been a nurse for approximately seven years. I knew that I wanted to be a nurse since I was a little girl, um, but I also had another first love, which was soccer. So I ended up at Utah State University playing soccer for approximately two seasons. And I loved it a lot. And um, the only problem was there was a small technicality with NCAA that I could not get the nursing degree through Utah State University because it was affiliated with Weber State University and it was considered a conflict of interest. So after two seasons, I ended up quitting soccer to pursue my love for nursing, ended up transferring to Brigham Young University where I graduated in April of 2014, um, took my boards in June of that year and began working in Washington, D.C. at one of their level one trauma centers, one of their MedStar facilities. Um, Started out in a medical surgical behavioral floor, Uh, essentially everyone there was a patient that required some medical or surgical procedure, but has a psychiatric history and um, enjoyed that position a lot, learned a lot, became a much better nurse. However, I knew I wanted to do critical care and eventually follow my dream of being a flight nurse. So I was there for about a year and a half and then I transitioned to their burn trauma ICU. It was a phenomenal experience. I loved getting to know the patients, loved getting to know the family members, loved actually watching them get better. I did that for about two and a half years. And then I did leave that position. I went abroad and did a volunteer um, with Mercy Ships and worked directly with burn patients in Cameroon for approximately three months. And when I came home, I knew I wanted to further continue towards becoming a flight nurse and knew I needed some emergency medicine um, experience. So I moved down to North Carolina, which is actually where I'm from, began working in the emergency department there um, for Duke University Hospital. I worked there for approximately a year and was able to start kind of working my way into Duke Life Flight, got to know some of the 
coworkers, got to know the program, and was able to do a ride along, and then subsequently was able to apply, which the application process we can definitely go through, but it is actually several month long process is a six part interview and was eventually offered the position and accepted the position. And I've been with Duke Life Flight now for a year and a half going on two years, which is absolutely crazy to think about because I still feel brand new. So That is awesome. Yeah. As cool and as awesome as that dream is, it's very unique. Um, the fact that it was been your dream to be a flight nurse. So how did it become your dream? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of things. Um, obviously, first you have to learn that there's even something called being a nurse, obviously. So probably, I must have been like four or five years old. I don't have really anyone in my family other than I do have an uncle that is a paramedic firefighter in Utah. Um, however, no one in my like immediate family is medical at all. Um, my dad um, was military and then progressed into being more in the financial world of business. So very different from what I love. Um, but probably I remember being as young as like four or five years old and there was a show called 911 and it has nothing to do with George Clooney. It's not that like drama show. It was actual <laughs> It was actual recordings of um, 911 dispatch calls, and then it had EMS and hospital personnel that described um, these patient situations, and then you got to meet the patient at the end, and it was always a happy story in the end. So I think that that kind of piqued my interest as to the healthcare world, and then, um, you know, I learned that there was doctors and nurses, and when I found out that the nurse was the one at bedside, I decided that that is absolutely what I wanted to be doing. Um, but how flight nursing came in, I, you know, it's like, okay, well, what kind of nurse do I want to be? This is a great position, you know, great uh, career choice. Um, but I always grew up around flight. So my dad for the military was a flight officer, flew S3 uh, jets, which actually no longer <laughs> exist, but oh, no. they have since been retired. Um, and then um, in my adulthood, my dad has gotten his private uh, pilot license and flight, ins uh, flight instructor license for Cestas. Um, so flying has always been something I grew up with. Um, I've been very comfortable around flying. I have a younger brother who flies Seahawks for the Navy and is actually out on a deployment currently. Um, so flight has been a part of my history. And I think kind of when I found out that one, my scope of practice could be broadened and I could work autonomously and have this ability to make decisions for myself in the back of an aircraft and fly around in a flight suit. I think I was kind of sold at that point. That's a win-win, it sounds yeah. like. So do you have your flight license? Are you a pilot as well? No, we have wonderful pilots who fly us around in the front of the helicopter and they do teach us various things that it, you know, good to know. We go through emergency procedures every day. Um, we know some of the buttons, such as like autopilot, if they were to become incapacitated, we know how to radio that we need help if that ever occurred, because there is no co-pilot for weight restriction. So it's just one pilot instead of the traditional two in the front of the helicopter. Um, but by no means would I ever trust myself to <laughs> fly any vehicle driving is more than enough for me on the ground. So. <laughs> well, either way, you are not in the front. Like you said, you're in the back. So can you tell me what that kind of looks like being a flight nurse, being in the back of the helicopter? And when you're called in, somebody needs help. What does that person normally need help for? What are you guys normally called in for? 
Um, every program is going to be a little bit different in regards to what they respond to. Uh, with Duke Life Flight, we are we do do what we call scene calls. That's kind of what I think people traditionally think of when they think of a helicopter being called out somewhere. Uh, you you know you might land in a field, you might land on the highway, you might be picking up um, anything from a car accident, ATV accident, motorcycle accident. We will also get called out for um, code strokes. So somewhere in the EMS field, they believe that this person might be having a stroke, but they're too far away from a stroke center. Uh, and that's when our helicopter and giving them a shorter window of time from the point of picking them up to getting them to a facility that can manage their care is a lot of times what we're called out for, for what we consider scenes. Uh, our program also does a lot of interfacility. So that can be someone is super or even just sick at another facility um, and require a shorter out of, out of hospital time from one location to the other. And we will go pick up at a different uh, hospital. Maybe they don't have the particular procedure that that patient needs. Um, maybe they are, they were an inpatient and now they're also having a stroke or also having a heart attack and those facilities don't have the capacity to deal with whatever they're dealing with, we'll go pick them up. Um, we do also do ground transports, which I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about, but we have kind of these massive uh, ambulances. They're ambulances that are mini ICUs of sorts. Uh, we'll drive out to wherever that patient is pick them up and bring them to a different facility where their care can continue um, with whatever they need. Uh, this includes machines such as we'll do balloon pumps. We'll, we will do ECMO. We will bring our perfusionists with us if we're transporting ECMO. And Duke is actually one of the premier centers for transporting ECMO. So we do do that a fair amount in comparison to other transport companies, but there are plenty of other ones um, like a Boston MedFlight that also do that. And then um, we'll even do like impellas. So we we kind of do a mixed bag of both. I would say we're probably about 70% in our facility and about 30% scenes at this point. Um, but other programs sometimes will even do rescues. We are not a rescue squad. So um, ours is scenes and inner facility strictly. Um, military is a great way to do flight nursing and they will obviously do more rescues. Air Force is a big one that does flight programs. Um, I know Inner Mountain is actually one that does do rescues, and I'm sure that they do inner facility and scenes. Um, University of Utah, I know, has their own fixed wing, so they have a bit more of a fixed wing program. We have to rent out a fixed wing, basically, when we pick up a patient that's kind of past our rotor wing capabilities. But um, I know of those two areas, or those two programs in the area of Utah that are, are phenomenal programs that people can can look into. And obviously, I, I know the most about Duke Life Flight, but I'm happy to give information about other programs I know about as well. Hey, we're not trying to brag, but our podcast just won an award. The College Handoff received a gold level AVA digital award from the Association of Marketing and Communication Professionals. We were among four recipients for podcasts and the only team in higher education at this level. We are thrilled to receive this award and keep making awesome episodes for all of you. So Kelsey, you mentioned earlier in the episode that the application process to become a flight nurse was really intense and time consuming. Can you tell us about what that process involves? Yeah, so most programs, it will be intense and complex because obviously you're working with yourself and a partner 
Um, Duke Life Flight will sometimes do uh, transports in an ambulance by yourself, but then typically the patients have a lower acuity. Um, we consider that like single provider transport, but for purposes of this, we'll just say that you're always with someone else. Um, it'll either be a paramedic or a nurse, at least in our programs. Um, but obviously, you're, so you're taking care of some of the sickest patients um, with just one other person in a confined space with, you have as many resources really as a hospital, but also limited resources because you can only carry so much. So even though, you know, you have bags of saline and we do carry blood products as well as most part programs will carry blood products, but obviously there's a limit. We carry two packed red blood cells and two liquid plasmas. And once you've gone through that, you have no more blood product to give. So yeah. um, it is definitely a, a difficult position that we do. You have to have the knowledge base behind it. And it's constantly ever evolving. There's always new evidence that comes out and you can never know enough when it comes to this job. So the interview process does kind of reflect that. Um, for Duke Life Flight, they initially, well, pre-COVID time, would have a ride-along where you would physically ride with a crew for a 12-hour shift, um, and that was a good way for you to understand what it is that we actually do, and also for the crew to get to know you, because it is a small number of people, and you do want people to be able to interact and be friendly towards each other and um, create that team building that that you want in a program as small as this um, and then at, once you get past that there's the traditional interview process um, they ask you get to know you questions um, similar to any other position but then they kind of go into more of like a situational questions where um, they might say like okay you've lost an airway and transport and this and that is happening how do you respond so it's just them phys uh, verbally giving you a situation or scenario and you have to talk how you would go through it and then the other portion to it is then and this is all like this one one interview section is all in one day and it was the most exhausting day of my life wow after that they run you through um, a code situation um, so you really need to know your acls algorithm backwards and forwards and up and down um, and so it's just you with a mannequin and you physically go through the process of putting them on the monitor, you know, CPR, pushing whatever med, um, so they can physically watch you go through a code situation. And it's one thing when you have a scenario in an ACLS class and it's less eyes like scrutinizing you, it's totally different when you're sitting in a room with a mannequin who's in a code situation and eight eyes of potential future uh, coworkers like staring at you and <laughs> looking at every move. <laughs> oh yeah, that'd be um, scary. Yeah, and then the last portion um, is often what they call a BCAT test. It's a basic knowledge assessment test. And uh, that isn't necessarily like pass-fail, but it helps us if you get past kind of all of those different scenarios and they feel like you would be a successful person to hire along, then you you complete this test and it helps them to know where some maybe deficiencies are that they can give you more education and make sure that you know what you need to know moving forward. So um, for me, I I know that my, my knowledge assessment test told me I needed to work on ventilators, which is something that I had 
always asked uh, respiratory therapists what they were doing when they were changing different settings on a ventilator, but that's not necessarily a skill we learn in nursing school, but we don't have respiratory therapists. We're, we are, <laughs> as scary as it is, a respiratory therapist on these calls. So we have to be able to change ventilator settings and understand what we're doing when we are changing ventilator settings. So it is, it's a big long process and um, I know one of my friends just went through it and I, I told her, I said, you're going to feel like you failed. You feel like you know nothing. You go home exhausted and you just think, oh my goodness. And then at the end of the day, when you get offered the position, you'll start your job. You also feel like you know nothing and there's all these smart people in the room and it is one of the biggest learning curves. And like I said, I'm nearly two years in and I still feel like I know nothing and I'm constantly learning um, because you just can never know enough for this job. That's crazy. I can only imagine the adrenaline rush that you feel every single day. Uh, that would be yeah. such a cool experience. It, it is a phenomenal adrenaline rush. However, I do think that there's this perception that every single day we're landing on a highway and we're doing all these cool things, but that's not always the picture that we have. You have to be ready for those days, but sometimes you are flying to pick up this patient that is honestly stable by all vital signs. They might not even be intubated. They might be talking to you, but they require a rapid transport to get whatever procedure that they need. So it, it can sometimes be like, okay, like walk over to my stretcher, get on my stretcher. Here's a couple of leads we're going to put on you. We're going to load you up. We're going to go. And you kind of sit there and you're like, they seemed fine, but they just needed a service that wasn't provided at these smaller local hospitals. And that's where we come in as any transport company that we can provide, make sure that no matter where you live, you can get the same medical care because we can just make sure that you're transferred where you need to if you end up at a hospital that doesn't offer it. So, Yeah. And that is so incredibly important. But yeah, Kelsey, could you tell me a story or tell me about a time that you really felt proud to be a flight nurse? Um, I don't know if I can come up with one specific patient, but I definitely feel like there are times in this job that like you're getting there when a patient is on the brink of death and you're doing, I mean, every time you show up, you're doing everything you can to save a life. And sometimes you're like, you might get them there alive, but you know, you find out inevitably later on that unfortunately they did pass away, but, um, and that can get really exhausting. I mean, you pour everything into every patient that you pick up and it, it's high intensity. I mean, like you were just gripping at trying to keep some of these patients alive. And um, just in the end, knowing that you are always providing every patient just a little extra time, whether that's time to get to the OR and maybe save their life or, you know, time to, to then get that clot out. And so then maybe they can go back to a normal state of life or time to get them to the cath lab to get so they don't end up with heart failure or pass away from a, a heart attack. That is like the biggest thing that we offer is just time. And it's amazing when just that extra little bit of time and you fought the whole time to keep the patient alive. And then you, we are kind of able to follow up on our patients and find out where they are at or if they go home. And it is one of the best feelings in the world when you, when you follow on that screen and you realize like they got to go home, they got to go home to their family or their their loved ones. Um, I know there was one patient with, who was in a really bad car accident that um, I went and picked up with my partner and like this person had a GCS of I think maybe three, maybe four, maybe he was posturing. 
So really not good. We ended up intubating this patient, needle decompressing the chest for a pneumo, um, blood products, kind of like what, you know, the whole nine yards. We were doing everything we could. And I, I kind of walked away like, I don't know, like traumatic brain injuries that, you know, like we got him there, we got him there stable, but like traumatic brain injuries, like what kind of life is he going to have after this? And um, and then I try not to find out, honestly, personal information about patients because it can make it harder if the outcome isn't as good. That makes sense. Um, but I, I did find out um, a lot of our EMS is just all very close around the area. And he had like a little one on the way. His uh, like fiance or girlfriend was, I think, eight months pregnant. And it was like, oh, my goodness, like, like, is this kid even going to know their dad? And um, he ended up surviving and doing really well and got discharged. And I'm sure he'll have some cognitive um, just kind of issues that he'll have to work through over and let his brain essentially heal. We kind of forget that that is something that also has to heal. But essentially, he should be able to get back to a normal life. And I think providing him just that extra time to get where he needed to go to get his procedures done and kind of let him rest at the hospital and recover to be with his kid was was definitely something that just felt absolutely amazing wow thank you for sharing that kelsey i think sometimes i think of healthcare and hospitals as such a local thing that whenever i'm sick i need to get to the closest hospital but for a lot of people that's not a reality they may be in the, on the highway somewhere they may not be able to get somewhere easily or they live in a place where there isn't a hospital crazy close but your job makes it possible for everybody to get that and I think that's awesome. That's incredible. Yeah, it, it's a phenomenal job. I I can't speak highly enough of it. Um, obviously, every job comes with its ups and its downs, and um, flight nursing is no different. And so, I try not to paint this rosy picture that's this perfect job. But if it's if you like adrenaline, if you like to make decisions for yourself, if you are not terrified of flying in the air, it's definitely a good job to have. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So one interesting thing we've learned since we've started the podcast is that a lot of our listeners want to learn about flight nursing, actually. So what advice would you give to the nursing students at BYU that want to start on the path to becoming a flight nurse? Absolutely. So, I mean, flight nursing, it is, it's actually when you get into the flight world, you realize how small of a world it really is. Um, nurses that want to do this, it, it does take sacrifice. Um, there were many a sacrifices I've made to get where I am. I would make them again 10 times over. Uh, but what I wish I would have known before starting flight nursing, um, someone had told me it's always best to get your ICU experience and your emergency department experience. And that is very true. For almost any program, it was specifically very important for Duke Life Flight, um, as most of our patients are um, more ICU transfers. So um, ICU emergency department experiences absolutely great. You need about five years before you can even look at applying. They kind of call it the alphabet soup of certifications. Um, essentially, you want to have your um, pediatric PALS, uh, so advanced life support for pediatrics, neonates, and adults, as well as trauma certifications. Most programs, there's some differences amongst programs. And then another thing is making sure that you have some kind of specialized certification. So I got my critical care registered nurse certification. Um, certified emergency nurse is another big one. And so you can even get your uh, certified flight registered nurse 
Um, the other things, especially what they can especially do now, even while they're in school, if you have any time to get your EMT license and start riding in the back of an ambulance, start seeing what it looks like to give care, being the first person to see the patient where no physician has had the opportunity yet to put eyes on them. That is something that was a big learning curve for me, not coming from the, the street level of emergency medicine. I had to get my EMT license for this job. Um, so getting it early, getting some practice is absolutely great. There's also plenty of programs throughout the country that um, they're considered like future flight programs. Anyone can sign up at any point. They offer so many different podcasts, so many different education pieces. And that is really the best way to prepare yourself to do this job. And then always tell people your dream. Tell every person you can. Um, for me, I was talking to a employee health a physician that was doing my health screening at Duke University Hospital. Hey, I'm here because I really want to do flight nursing. I'm getting emergency medicine and then I want to do flight nursing. And he wrote a name on the back of the card with their contact information and handed that to me. And that was the process that got me started with Duke Life Flight. And it was as simple as just saying, I want to do this. So tell everyone, tell anyone, because it it's not only what you know, but it, it does end up being who you know. And whatever that small stroke of luck will be for you, just tell everyone and anyone and it'll come your way. I definitely second that. That's kind of how I got the job that I have now. So I definitely second that. And that is a very valuable piece of advice that everybody should take advantage of. And Kelsey, we have come not to the end of our time, but before we go, could you share your contact information in case there's somebody that wants to reach out to you to learn more about flight nurse, maybe Duke life flight and what they can do to become a flight nurse one day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it is, um, my personal email is the best way to get in touch with me. Um, it's my name. So Kelsey, K-E-L-S-E-Y dot Sachs, S-A-X, zero nine at gmail.com. Perfect. But Kelsey, once again, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us today. We appreciate you taking the time and it's been so much fun. No, thank you. It's been a lot of fun for me too. And I look forward to anyone that has questions. I'm happy to hear that so many people are interested in this field. Um, I'm happy to nerd out with every one of them that wants to reach out. So, <laughs> Awesome. Thank you, Kelsey. Thank you so much. Guys, thank you so much again for tuning into the College Handoff. We are so grateful for all of you who listen to us. Today, before we go, we wanted to shout out a really cool campus resource that can add even more to what we do here at the podcast each week. The BYU Career Services Office in the Wilk. Yeah, so the Career Services Center is in room 2590 in the Wilk. There you can find experts who dedicate all of their time to help you find jobs after graduation, guide you to find internships for the summer, give you expert help on your resume, and even give you a chance to practice your resume skills in a mock interview. They got career mentors, career exploration specialists, and students like us who want to help you get to where you want to go. Yeah, Corbin, I think that's so great because one of our purposes here at the podcast is to expose all of our listeners to as many opportunities and jobs as we can. So everyone listening, if you hear anything that sounds even remotely cool, just go to the Career Services Center in the Wilk and start working with them and they'll help you get where you want to be. And we know we have so many awesome professors who want to help you and they have valuable thoughts that can guide you to get to where you want to be. But 
Let's be honest, they're so busy. The Career Services Center are professionals that make a living doing this stuff. Typically, meeting with someone like this would cost like hundreds and hundreds of dollars, but you can go for free whenever you want. And don't go thinking that they only help business or STEM students. Nursing is a really specific major, but they can help anyways. So everyone listening, don't hesitate at this great opportunity. Just remember, you got to be ready for the next time you are face-to-face or Zoom-to-Zoom with a recruiter. Guys, keep on keeping on. You're killing it again with this crazy Zoom semester. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all of your friends. We will be back here same place, same time next week. See ya. See ya. See ya.